Welcome to the Teach Me Lit podcast. I'm Sophie Tuvey and I love talking about books and helping you to revise for English literature and go deeper in the texts you're studying. So thinking about money and wealth, Pride and Prejudice is very much a novel about economics. Yes, it is a romance. Yes, there is um, a Bildungsroman element of a character developing from innocence into maturity. But very much money and wealth are very central to the plot of the novel and to many of the characters' situations. Um, We learn very early on in the novel that Mr. Bennett's estate is entailed away. So that means that upon Mr. Bennett's death, the estate would not be inherited by his wife or his daughters, but the nearest male relative, which happens to be Mr. Collins. It's a relatively small estate. Um, He has an earning, Austin tells us in chapter seven, of about £2,000 a year. And Mrs. Bennett's fortune is £4,000. Mrs. Bennett's family is very much in trade. So her father was an attorney, her sister's husband is an attorney, and her brother is in a respectable line of trade in London. So they're very much part of the kind of middle classes, people who work for their income. Um, they didn't, you know, inherit a fortune from a rich relative or anything like that. They've they've earned their money through trade. And very much Mrs. Bennett is always constantly aware of the fact that if Mr. Bennett dies, they will not be able to stay living at their house in Longbourn. They will be kicked out. So it says in chapter one, the business of her life was to get her daughters married. Now, some critics see Mrs. Bennett as um, being quite cold in her relentless pursuing the, um, quote, economic disposal um, of her children. Um, However, I would say that Mr. Bennett's refusal to firstly put aside money for the girls, he kind of keeps hoping that they're going to have a boy one day. And then finally, when that hope's over, it's a bit late for him to start saving money. Um, But secondly, his sort of willful buries head in the sand, refusing to confront the fact that his daughters are in a really difficult situation financially. Um, I don't think Austin really sees that as a good thing either. So there's the Mr. and Mrs. Bennett are both at opposite extremes. Mr. Bennett seems to remove himself from all financial responsibility. Mrs. Bennett is completely obsessed with getting her daughters married off to as rich a gentleman as possible. I don't think Austin's condoning either, but somewhere in the middle is this line of what Austin would say is called prudence. That's a kind of financial savviness, financial awareness that is good without being greedy, without being um, lacking in responsibility. So when Mr. Bingley comes along, of course, we learn straight away in chapter one, Bingley has 5,000 a year. Now, this means he has basically 5,000 pounds a year in interest from the fortune that he has um, inherited. And that fortune, um, we find out, was made through trade. So Bingley is not part of these um, landed gentry families, ancient families that have gone from fortune to fortune to fortune. He's a relatively new money, um, which is quite key. Um, funny because his sisters are quite um, keen to forget that because obviously fortune that is made through trade is seen as being less high status. So um, Miss Bingley has a um, fortune of £20,000 which you know she would be given as a a dowry upon her marriage Um, and it says that his sisters are very anxious for his having an estate of his own 
In other words, once Bingley uses his fortune to actually purchase his own estate, then basically they can fob themselves off as being um, having a more ancient money than they really do. Um, so they're really keen for him to actually purchase an, a property, whereas at the moment he's just renting Netherfield. Now, by comparison, Darcy has 10000 a year. That's just his interest. That's just basically income from his estate and interest that he has on an annual basis. So his fortune is vast. And of course, when Elizabeth later visits Pembley, she sees the extent um, of firstly the manor house and its grounds, but also all of the tenants that he has, the people working for him on this, this mighty great estate. Now, one of, of course, the main themes of the novel shown in the title, Pride and Prejudice, is that for Darcy, this high status that he has through his money and wealth, which is, is from a very ancient family of inherited wealth over those generations, is a huge barrier to him valuing Elizabeth. From early on in the novel, he begins to see Elizabeth's sparkling personality, her intelligence, her wit and her beauty. But the knowledge of her status in life, her situation in life and her lack of fortune is a constant barrier for Darcy um, actually pursuing her. When he finally does propose to her um, in chapter 34, he says, Could you expect me to rejoice in the inferiority of your connections, to congratulate myself on the hope of relations whose condition in life is so decidedly beneath my own? Which, of course, for Elizabeth is a really unforgivable thing to say because she sees herself as on a social par with Darcy, obviously nowhere near his rank and wealth. But in terms of intelligence, in terms of um, being on a par to converse and to share life together, she sees herself as an equal to Darcy. So Elizabeth finds him far too proud in this area. Um, but on the other opposite end of the spectrum, we have a character like Wickham who comes into the novel in chapter 15 and is very much um, a figure who is economically motivated. Now, Wickham has grown up as the son of the elder Mr. Darcy's steward. He's grown up in an environment of wealth at Pembley and he's almost been sort of kind of fostered by Mr. Darcy's father and that Mr. Darcy's father has taken an interest in him, has paid his way through university, um, has in a, in a sense sponsored him to be able to do his education. Um, and the elder Mr. Darcy would like to give him the living of being a clergyman on his estate if it's in his power to do so and ask Darcy, Darcy to do this himself after his death. But the issue with Wickham is that Wickham does not have any of the principles which Elizabeth later finds out that Darcy does have, the principles of justice, morality, propriety. Wickham is very much a loose cannon, going from place to place, accruing massive amounts of debt because he lives very extravagantly. It's almost like having seen the younger Darcy's lifestyle, he covets that lifestyle, but he doesn't actually have any fortune to be able to do that. So Wickham's great plan, um, perhaps could be compared to Mrs. Bennet's plan, is to marry a girl of fortune. Um, and that will basically solve his problems, set him up for life. 
Now, Lizzie um, is observed quite early on in the novel by her aunt Gardner with Wickham and aunt Gardner becomes concerned that Lizzie is involving herself with this soldier who has no money. Um, Mrs Gardner says, do not involve yourself or endeavour to involve him in an affection which the want of fortune would make so very imprudent. So at this point, Lizzie accepts that it would not be prudent to fall in love with a man like Wickham. Um, or to pursue a relationship with him because the sheer complete lack of fortune on both sides would make a match very difficult. However, Lizzie is always determined to marry for love and to marry with an equal mutual affection. Um, And that's why she finds it so hard to understand why Charlotte Lucas, her best friend, accepts Mr. Collins. Mr. Collins obviously initially proposes to Elizabeth and she, with absolute horror, rejects him. Um, Mr. Collins has a very favourable status. He has a living from Lady Catherine as her chaplain. um, And Charlotte accepts him because she can secure herself a future. Um, It says that she accepts him solely from the pure and disinterested desire of an establishment. And there's obviously a bit of a play on words on the word pure here, because we associate the word pure with holy and a sort of sense of righteous motive. But actually, the motive isn't particularly righteous. It's just the fact that she wants to be secure. I think there's sympathy in the narrative for Charlotte. Because even though Charlotte is a sensible woman, an intelligent woman of, you know, what, 27 years old, 28, 27, 28, she can't get a living for herself. Um, It's not possible. Her own society will not allow her to do that. So perhaps through her accepting a man like Mr. Collins, who is completely unbearable, Austen is drawing the attention of the reader to the plight of many such women as Charlotte. At the opposite end of the spectrum, we have Lady Catherine de Bourg. Um, Mr. Collins obviously bills Lady Catherine as being full of graciousness, um, which basically is because she's noble and rich. It's not really based on her actual personality. So Mr. Collins is eloquent in her praise and says he's never witnessed such affability and condescension as he has experienced from Lady Catherine. In actuality, she's pretty rude and dominating. And when Elizabeth goes to visit Rosings, she sees this for herself. Um, as Elizabeth converses with Colonel Fitzwilliam, Lady Catherine constantly interrupts, I must have my share in the conversation she says she also tells elizabeth she would be in nobody's way if she practiced a piano on the pianoforte in mrs jenkinson's room the governesses and even darcy blushes at her ill breeding in suggesting such a thing ultimately when lady catherine arrives at longbourn in chapter 56 to challenge elizabeth to try and break off elizabeth's engagement to mr darcy which at this point isn't even in place Elizabeth dares to defy her. She says, he is a gentleman. I am a gentleman's daughter. So far, we are equal. However, when referring to the fact that if Darcy married Elizabeth, he would then be connected to Wickham, who by this point has married Lydia through Darcy's rescuing of that situation. Lady Catherine declares, are the shades of Pemberley to be thus polluted? She cannot fathom Um, the connection of of her nephew with this family of no connection, very little fortune and no social status. But of course, the the nice 
uh, journey of Darcy's character is that he be- he begins to see beyond that himself. And of course, he comes to the point where he's willing to marry Elizabeth with Wickham as his brother-in-law. And he's even willing to make that happen by rescuing Lydia from her disgrace, by paying off Wickham with £10,000, a huge sum of money, um, in order to just pave the way clear so that he can... Um, please Elizabeth and hopefully win her affection Um, and that's obviously seen as one of his acts of extreme generosity in the novel. What's quite ironic is that um, Mr Collins has written to Mr Bennett to say you know Lady Catherine's going to be very unhappy if Elizabeth accepts Mr Darcy. Um, When Elizabeth and Darcy do announce their engagement Mr Bennett writes a letter back to Mr Collins which is very brief and basically advises console Lady Catherine as well as you can But if I were you, I would stand by the nephew. He has more to give. So Austen generally is showing us throughout the novel the value of prudence, of financial planning and the value of having financial security. Elizabeth and Jane both manage to make marriages that are very financially beneficial for them, but with a mutual affection with the partner. Whereas Charlotte Lucas's marriage is solely about... um, financial interest without any real mutual respect or affection on either side in that marriage. So Austin wants to show us that pure greed and avarice um, such as Wickham's are not to be condoned, nor is the pride of the upper classes such as Lady Catherine de Bourgh and Darcy himself initially that meant that they separate themselves from other people. So Austin shows that Money and wealth is very much at the centre point of her own society on how characters relate to one another, how people engage with each other and value one another. And there's no small amount of social satire in the fact that people seem to um, want to find agreeable the people who are rich and do not value um, the intelligent because they are poor. So there's a lot to look at in terms of what you think Austin's messages to the reader and if you like her moral navigation of these issues that a woman does need financial security she does need marriage to protect her and to provide her with a living but at what cost it mustn't be at the cost of integrity um, or by sacrificing your your hopes of love and affection in marriage. If you've enjoyed this podcast and found it helpful, please hit subscribe and share it with a friend. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter. Just search for Teach Me Lit. I'm always open to requests. So if you want me to talk about a text you're studying, get in touch. Thank you for listening. See you next time on the Teach Me Lit podcast.